Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. Our guest for this episode has dedicated her career to helping families in time of conflict, worry and stress. You're about to hear from internationally renowned academic, child psychologist and GDST alumna, Professor Abby Gewurz. It is natural to worry. We all worry. And if we can teach our children that emotions are important, there are things they can do with them and they can be empowered to find solutions. I think that's fantastic. As Professor of Psychology at Arizona State University and Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Psychology, Professor Gavaris is well-placed to understand the anxiety and uncertainty our young people have faced in recent times. Having lived through a global pandemic, they now see images and hear daily updates about the war in Ukraine. Professor Gewurz's book, When the World Feels Like a Scary Place, came out last year and has become the go-to for many parents who just want to be able to reassure their children. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, and this is Professor Abby Gewurz. So Abby, it's really lovely to see you again. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to be back with you, Cathy. So we, we first met last year and we were in the second lockdown and schools had closed for the second time. And you spoke to us about how we can reassure and comfort our children because they were once again separated from their classmates and friends. And we kind of felt that there was some hope on the horizon and, you know, despite all the uncertainty. And since then, we've had several more waves of COVID. We've seen Afghanistan fall once again to the Taliban. There's been continuing violence against women and girls, some at the hands of a police officer, in fact. And now our children are watching one man take the decision to wage war on Ukraine and they have questions. Where do we start? How can we explain to our children that there can be so much fear and danger in the world? Where do we start? As you were recounting that, the hairs on my arms were going up because I think when we as adults sit and think about what's happened in the last few years, it takes our breath away. To talk about an uncertain world, I I think it's an understatement by a lot. And of course, the title of my book was When the World Feels Like a Scary Place. And it really does feel like a scary place. And the fact that COVID is now at least... Uh, for many in the UK is now is now waning a bit, um, doesn't necessarily help with all the scary stuff that's happening around the world. And as you noted most recently, the invasion of the Ukraine. So one thing that can happen in, in situations like this is that children in school respond to that fear and the unfolding drama with a kind of a thrill and a desire to feed rumours and, you know, egg each other on. I mean, l- last week I received a, a text from my daughter saying that her classmates were saying that the school was being bombed at midday um, and that if that was actually going to happen, she loved us, which was an awful message to get. What can we do to, to help our children to kind of rationalise and stay calm and perhaps even if they have the capacity to re- reassure others? 
Well, let's stop and just take a breath for a minute. What a awful thing to hear as a mom and what a terrible thing to think your child is going through. So, Kathy, let me let me throw it right back to you and say, how did that make you feel getting that text? Oh, awful, heartbroken. I just I thought what's going through her little head right now? I mean, that's you know, not I didn't experience the same fear that she was experiencing um because I knew that that wasn't going to happen. I mean, for a start, we live in Sheffield and I don't think that Sheffield is number 1 on Putin's bomb list. But that aside, you know, there is that expression that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. So the idea that she was feeling that sense of panic and, and the need to kind of tell us that she loved us, oh, it was awful. Awful. Right. So really where I encourage parents to start is with themselves because we are our children's best teachers and our children's number one role models, at least when they're very young um, and even when they get older. So the reason we start with ourselves is because if your child had sent you a text like she did and you had really gotten upset. I can see parents and myself as a parent thinking, how could these kids freak her out? How could the teachers not calm her down? How? And I can imagine shooting off a text in capitals that, no, that's not happening. I can't believe they told you that. Tell them that's rubbish. <laughs> but of course, what effect would that have had on her? Yeah. That would have really upset her, right? I mean, that's not what a child needs to hear. The parents upset when the child is upset. So, so what I really encourage parents to do is first to think about what they're feeling. Because if we don't take a moment to observe our own feelings, we will let those sweep us away into a reaction that we will probably later regret. Okay. And it sounds like that's something that you did. You took that moment. Well, I had I had the luxury of time there. You took a breath. Yes. Right, which we don't always have. And you know, sometimes what I'll say to parents is if your child is standing in front of you saying that, it may be just enough for you to say, "Wow, you must be really really scared. You know what? I'm going to get us both a glass of water or I'm going to just put the kettle on or wow. And just turn around, take a deep breath and then come back to it. And that gives us time to then pause. So it is one thing to pause and to, as you've said before, put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. But actually it's, it's more of a kind of an existential threat at the moment. It feels like the world is ongoing scary. Yes. What next? So <laughs> actually, um, I don't usually tell people what not to do, <laughs> but I think, um, you know, in these existential times with the, the crises that are upon us, um, what not to do is not to have that discussion with your child. Yeah. What I think happens is that parents will reflect their existential uncertainties on their children, not by intention. Um, and that is part of the pause as well. So those existential conversations are ones to have with our friends, our relatives, our partner, you know, to take time for ourselves to go for a bike ride or a walk or um, just do the things that help us calm down. With our children, 
the response, first of all, is to help them figure out where they are. So after you've taken that pause, you look really scared and your child might say, yeah, and I can see that you're scared because actually I can see that you're trembling. And I wonder if you have a tummy ache because I know that when I get really scared, my tummy kind of fills up with um, butterflies. Um, Take a little moment of time to just help your child figure out what they're feeling. And then the opportunity comes to you to validate it. We never had texts, but we had rumors too. And I remember X, Y, and Z happening and I felt so scared. So I really, I get you feeling scared and I would be too if I was in your shoes. Mm. And that helps your child understand that you recognize that what they're feeling is valid and important because feelings are, they're really important signals. So what we want to do typically is just rush and say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. No, no. And first of all, you know, there's not been any indication that Putin plans to bomb England. And anyway, Sheffield is not going to be his first choice. (laughs) (laughs) What are you trying to say? Yeah, right. (laughs) We want to jump to the reassurance, but... What we lose if we jump straight to reassuring is the opportunity to help them understand that emotions are signals, important signals, and that their feelings are valid. We will be able to get to the reassurance next. So it's about trying to avoid being too solutions focused, I guess, in in those first moments of hearing that your child is scared. Yeah, that's our job is to look after and reassure our kids. And it's not that we don't do that. We do do that. But if we jump straight to reassurance, it's like your child wakes up in the middle of the night and says, I had a nightmare. And you say, oh, I'll get you a nightlight. Now you've got a nightlight. It's all good. But without trying to figure out what they're scared of exactly and what they can do for themselves to help calm down, right? Because ultimately, we want our kids to be able to grow up, to learn to be able to um, solve their own problems, not totally alone, but we do live in a society that values self-sufficiency and for them to feel competent at handling things. I mean, that's really what childhood's about. It's about teaching kids to feel like they can be independent in this world. So we talked about your book earlier on, When the World Feels Like a Scary Place, and it is a fantastic book. And in it, you model conversations to broach these tricky areas and you helpfully structure them in a what not to do and what to do kind of way. Could you take us through a potential conversation wherein a child who is scared of what is happening in Ukraine and in Afghanistan, or who's experiencing that real um, intense empathy with displaced families across the globe in, in a way that they can't switch off? What kind of language would you use, Abby? Would you kind of give examples as you did before, you know, citing your own experience as a child, for example? For sure. Absolutely. So, Kathy, how old? What, what age child? Let's pick an age. Let's think about maybe a primary school child. So one who is kind of old enough to understand what is happening, but maybe not not old enough to kind of rationalize what might not happen. So let's say maybe eight or nine. Perfect. Perfect. And yes, I think that you hit the nail on the head. They're old enough to understand what's going on and not old enough to feel like they can do anything about it. <laughs> um, although a lot of us feel like that regardless of our age. But Yeah, that's me. I think I feel like that at 46. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I 
I think we all just feel like that now. But, um, but I think what the conversation is going to, so let, let's think about this conversation and, um, with your eight or nine year old. And let's take the example that you gave, which is your child's heard on the playground that the next target is your child's school. And so your child comes home and you do a really good job of helping her to identify what she's feeling. And you go get yourselves, you boil the kettle and you get yourselves a cup of tea and a biscuit. And you, you might do one of two things. You might say, well, it's four o'clock. And I know you have some homework and I know you want to calm down. So why don't you watch some television or, you know, read your book or do something to help yourself feel a little better. And then we've got that little bit of time that we can sit down and talk about this. And as a parent, you may choose to have a conversation immediately. And that's also fine. The only thing I would caution is conversations when feelings are running high are a little more tricky. Um, especially if you have a child who is more sensitive. And so there are some advantages to having a little bit of a break and then coming back to the conversation. So let's say you do that. Um, that also gives you, the parent or parents, time to think about what you're going to say. And you already have some clues because your child has already told you that the kids in the playground were telling her that England's going to be attacked. And mommy, what are we going to do? If that happens, where are we going to go? And your child has also seen images on television. And if they haven't seen images on television, you can be absolutely sure they've seen images on their friend's phone of children fleeing and rubble. So the first thing that we want to do is we want to be able to, again, jump in and reassure and say, that's a long way away. And, you know, you're not going to promise anything, right? But what we do want to do is help your child understand the facts. And facts sometimes these days are hard to come by. So I think that's one thing that many parents might want to do is they might want to help their child understand the facts. And the second thing they might want to do is make a decision about how much they're willing to share with their child, because there are lots of terrible details that children of different ages might or might not be able to or be more and less distressed by. And so I think every parent needs to make a conscious decision about what they're willing to share with their child. Yes. You might not want to share the gory details about children being killed if your child doesn't bring it up. But I think that brings us to the first part of the conversation. And that first part of the conversation is you, the parent, listening to your child. So tell me, what did you hear? What have you seen? What do you know about this? Tell me everything that you have heard. Because that way, you're not sharing anything that your child doesn't know and maybe didn't need to hear. That's a really good point. Yeah. So tell me what happened. Tell me what you've heard. And your child is likely coming to you with a mixture of fact and fiction, some wild and some less wild. And we know that's what happens on social media and the internet these days. And at that same time, you will be able to learn. And, and what's really important for parents is not to jump in, not to, you know, in a way, what you have to do is sit on your hands and sit on your, and cover your mouth and just listen and encourage your child to talk and try hard to stay calm. Sometimes our kids tell us things and we want to cry. And what happens then is they feel they've distressed us. And so they stop talking. So just to be able to encourage your child, say, 
that must have made you feel really scared. But without bringing yourself into it to the extent possible to encourage your child to keep talking. And just to keep validating, I know if it was me and I was in that playground or I was looking at that phone and I was your age, I would feel really scared too. When you have all the facts, that's when you have the opportunity to respond and say, you know, gosh, you heard so many things. No wonder you were feeling so scared and so worried. And no wonder you were asking me about whether we have a bomb shelter and where we're going to go. So let's talk about what's actually, what's happening. And by the way, I think probably parents realize, but this conversation is a no phone zone. <laughs> you know, it's just you and your child and, and no phones, and no distractions. And sometimes that means that parents have to schedule it really carefully. In each episode of Race Her Up, we hear from a member of our GDSD family to gain their perspective on the matter at hand. Today, we hear from Anne Musgrove, head of Sutton High Prep School. We're educating the whole girl, and this means we're helping her to cope with what life throws at her. So how do we do this? How are we supporting each girl through COVID? And how are we helping her to cope with what she's seeing on the news at the moment about the Ukraine and Russia? First and foremost, we're honest with our girls. And by that, we mean we're open to conversations. We want to give them enough to inform, but not too much. We frequently take them back to the facts, for example, We also encourage the girls to talk about their feelings, and this is a result of our Brains Matter program. Once they've got the grounding of knowing the basics about their brain, we teach them about how to self-regulate, how to cope when they're scared. We've also done a lot to strengthen our culture of kindness and the ability to support each other. Another priority has been the outside and the fresh air and play, and to such an extent that we're now building an outdoor classroom for the girls. For all of us, isn't it just easier to walk and talk and to share our feelings? We know that life can be scary from time to time and how we are able to cope with these times is really testament to the learning environment and also the resilience of the girls. And we talk to them about that superpower of resilience. Somebody asked me something the other day that really gave me pause for thought. They said, you know, what happy things do you speak about to your daughter? My mind went blank and all I could think about was put your dirty clothes in the laundry basket, put your plate in the dishwasher, have you brushed your teeth, uh, put your coat on, uh, get your school bag, time to leave. And I wondered if you could suggest a way for us to maybe instigate normal conversations that don't necessarily exist to allay fears but just to set the scene for for balanced family life that is safe and sheltered from scary news updates so that the range of your the conversations you have with your kids is not either, oh, darling, that sounds so scary, or can you put your clothes away, please? Surely I cannot be the only parent experiencing this. No, I think you're in the vast majority, Cathy. And I'm really so glad that you raised it because when I was doing the research for the book, I actually um, looked for population level surveys. Now, mind you, this is the United States. I'm sure the parents in England talk more with their children. (laughs) But I was absolutely shocked to find out it was the American Time Use Survey, which uh, polls parents or people to ask how they spend their time. And literally, you have to break down your 24-hour day into the things that you do. And if you were a parent, there was a space to put all the things that you do with your children, cooking for them, driving them places, etc. And one of the categories was talking with your children. And I think the first 
horrifying thing to me was that the average amount of minutes that a parent spends talking with their child was somewhere between two and three minutes a day. <clears throat> of course, averages are always, you know, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. But that number came from the fact that over 80%, 80% of the parents who were surveyed actually did not even fill that column in. It was essentially zero. And the other 20% were people who spent quite a bit of time talking with their children between 30 minutes and an hour. And that's where you get that horrifyingly low average. But the fact that most parents didn't even assign that as a category means that it's exactly as you say, which is that we spend most of our time telling our children to do your homework, hurry up, we're late for school and things like that. And yes, if that's all we talk with our children about, it is going to be very hard then to have in-depth conversations when they're feeling upset or angry or sad, you know, so I sort of say, take 10 minutes a day just to have a conversation about what was fun in your day. Um, you've got a smile on your face. Something good happened. Do it around the kitchen table. Do it over dinner. Do it in the car when you're walking the dog. Anytime you have a spare few minutes, you, your conversations don't have to be you and your child in intense, deep, nothing else happening. They should just be a part of everyday life. I learned so pretty early on that um, when you're making a conversation with your child or asking them how their day was, you have to ask very, very specific questions. Otherwise, you just get fine, good. So I usually start with, "What did you have for lunch?" Yes, and we and we go backwards from there. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, it's always the same though. It's always jacket potato with beans and cheese. <laughs> let's um, let's carry on talking. Let's go back to something you said about you know if your child was waking up in the middle of the night, um, you wouldn't just buy them a, a night light, a night light rather. Um, but let's talk about that kind of the severe anxiety that some kids, they just can't switch off and that kind of, you know, the, the trouble sleeping or the endless questioning, the overthinking. Are there any tips or strategies you recommend that in the moment a harried parent can deploy to, to reassure, but without offering those solutions, you know, and, and, and kind of cutting to the chase? Right. With your permission, Kathy, I'd like to go back to that conversation we started um, with your child who um, who came in saying, are they going to bomb us? And what we did was we got to the stage where you're having a karma conversation, and your child is telling you all the stuff. And I think what's good about that scenario is that if your child is a sensitive child, even if they've had the chance for an hour or two snack, homework, reading, TV, um, in telling you again, they can still get really upset. So what I'm going to do is let's take you through some strategies to calm them in the moment. And then let's talk about the conversation after what they've told you, where you can help them feel better over the longer term. Some of my favorite in the moment strategies, and I think it's lovely to brainstorm this with your child and actually put them on the fridge so that they can be reminded. Um, I love deep breaths, belly breathing, where you um, you take five or 10 deep breaths in and out. And what's uh, crucial with the belly breathing is that you breathe in for five and your out breaths are longer, 10 second out breaths. That's much more calming. So breathe in for five and out for 10. And with younger children, um, you can even do this with the help of a balloon. And what I do is I like to mime breathe in, you save your breath for a, a second, and then it's as if you're blowing out a balloon and together you mime blowing out the balloon, 10 seconds, big balloon. 
Um, and that's really fun, like balloon breathing. And you can even really do it actually with a balloon. Um, so I think that's my favorite in the moment because it can be done anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Another thing for a child who's getting really upset and really stuck in their head is to just have them stand up and feel their feet on the ground. And just the act of feeling your feet on the ground, literally, it grounds you. So it brings you back here instead of all the fear and anxiety, which is caught in your head. Um, So that's another thing. You can also have them look around the room and notice five things. So just take a look around the room. That that brings you back here to the here and now. You can, of course, take a walk, um, all, all those kinds of things. But those are all calming strategies that aren't distracting so there's a difference between a distraction. Sometimes when a child is acutely scared or you just want to distract them and you let's listen to music or watch TV or something like that. But this is really a grounding. Let's bring us back to the here and now. Take some breaths, look around, feel your feet in your shoes. Um, so I think those are really helpful. And then you can continue the conversation. And so the conversation is your child's told you all the scary things. And now you can say, well, Here's what you said and here's the actual facts. Or what I prefer is a collaborative approach to problem solving. So we have two things that we're going to do right now, you and me, you you might say to your child. One thing is we're going to find some strategies to help you feel better when that happens tomorrow in the playground. So these are things that maybe we've just done now, or what can you do when kids tell you something or show you something and you really get upset? I know that Mrs. Smith is on duty in the playground. And I wonder if you can just maybe say to your friends, oh, I just need to take a break or I need to go to the loo. And you can go to Mrs. Smith and just say, I'm feeling a little bit, I'm feeling a little bit worried now. Can I just stand by you? Or can I just go to the loo? Or whatever it is, I violated my own rule, which is I I gave the solutions. You're not going to say these are the solutions. What you're going to say is, let's you and me brainstorm some ideas to help you feel better. So what are some things that you like to do that help you feel better when you feel worried in school? And you literally get a piece of paper and you write them down and you say, you first, and your child says, I don't know. And you might say, okay, well, I know that when you take your squeezy ball to school, you feel better, but that's my solution. But now it's your turn. So you're prompting them, but you're not giving them the solution. Them choosing the solution really empowers them. That's to do with the feelings. I think what you say about prompting and not giving is so important because how many times have you wanted to jump into your, your child's skin and just do it for them and just get them through a tough day? But actually, you know that that is not a long-term solution. So the prompting, not giving, I'm going to take that away with me. Amongst everything else you're saying, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then how can you do that with regard to the actual facts and the stuff, right? So there's a problem solving process around their feelings and helping them feel better. But in this case, they also have questions for you, right? Um, is this true? Are they going to bomb us? And you can't let that go. You've got to talk with them about it. So how do you do it in a way that also involves them in the solution? And here's one way you might do it. You might say, there are things we know about Russia and Ukraine, and I think it's really important that you know them. But what I want to do is instead of telling you them, 
I want us to look at them. I want us to go together to some trusted news sites so that you can really not just um, hear it from me, but so that when your friends come to you and say, we heard that Russia's going to bomb England, you can say, but you know what? Let's look together and see that that's not true. Right now, what we know is that Russia has invaded the Ukraine. And there are people running away and some of them, are, and, they're, and they're going to the border with Poland and they're fleeing and there are lots of people helping them. So you, could, you might say to your child, what is a good news source, right, that we all watch every day or listen to? Oh, BBC. Okay. So, I mean, I think that is... And what you're doing is you're introducing kids to what's what's real news and what's potentially a hearsay, you know, and you can even say, what was that website that your friend showed you? Ha, huh, okay. And you can, um, and I know only the American ones, but, you know, in America, there's something called Snopes.com, S-N-O-P-E-S, and Snopes will tell you if something is factual or not. And so you've established that, look, we've looked on Newsround and we've seen that this is something, even though it's really scary and wars are horrid, that this is not near us. Um, this is something that's happening between two countries that are far away. Um, and, you know, the grown-ups here do everything they can to keep kids safe. It is my job. It's my job and it's your teacher's job when you're in school to keep you safe and want you to know that we do everything that, that we're pretty good at that. So I think there is, if there's a piece of reassurance, that's the one. Can I take you back to something you said, looking at images on your friend's phone, looking at social media, you know, information is now in all these places uh, and it's in the same places that our kids might go to, to escape, you know, on their, on their screens. How can we help them to cope with that without changing their day-to-day -day life? You know, I don't want to take my kids' screens away from them. I mean, I do all the time, but, you know, I, I don't really want to. You know, it's a, it's a really tricky thing, Kathy and I, you know, my kids are older now, but... I think it's one of the hardest jobs of parents today to monitor their children. Monitoring used to be, which is, by the way, it's a really important part of parenting is monitoring and supervising kids. And it used to be about, do I know where my kids are and when they're getting home, right? And now it's about, do I know what my kids are seeing on the internet, on their devices? Um, you know, in the book, I say, I'm not going to tell parents what to do. Each family has their own rules about screen time, about when they allow their, you know, when they first buy their child a phone or allow their kid to watch and when they do it and what they allow their kids to watch. But it is getting harder and harder to monitor. So I think it is about um, when your kids get to a certain age, teaching them about to come to you when there are things that don't seem right. And I think that's the only key um, to stopping, for example, kids being exploited through the internet. I mean, that's a very scary thing for all parents um, and for children and, and teaching them who it's okay to have conversations with on, on the internet. It's really a hard thing to do. And it's a really crucial aspect of parenting these days. Okay. Any, any last thoughts, Abby? Any uh, last pieces of wisdom? Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing is I do want to leave people on a positive note in these hard times. And I think the, the wonderful thing is that parents really are their kids' best teachers, mentors, role models, and parents, um, they always want the best for their kids and children. They, they turn out 
they they almost always turn out fine. Yeah. And you know, when, when my kids got to the age of 18 and all of them are over 18 now, just, my husband and I said, oh my God, all those thousands of hours we spent worrying. <laughs> we could have avoided if we would have known how it would all turn out, you know. But, and, but you know, I, you know, it is just, it's a worrying time now. And I think parents shouldn't beat themselves over the head for, for the worrying that they feel. It is natural to worry. We all worry. And if we can teach our children that emotions are important. There are things they can do with them and they can be empowered to find solutions. I think that's fantastic. Oh, Abby, Abby, you are just the best. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time to help us and to help our young people in these very, very strange times. Well, thank you, Kathy, anytime. And um, I wish you all the best, both with your both with your own family and with the wider, larger group of families that you support through GDST. Thank you. When the World Feels Like a Scary Place by Professor Abby Gewurz is available now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Cathy Walker. Join me on the next episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST when I will be with blogger and author behind the hilarious Hurrah for Gin series, Katie Kirby. I hate motivational quotes, so I quite like the kind of all the anti like motivational kind of quote things. And I did one a little while ago that's someone saying, you know, she believed she could. So she did meme that's sort of been about it. I think I did one that sort of said, oh, she believed she could, but she liked drinking wine on the sofa instead. So she didn't. I'll see you then. 